Welcome back in. Brady Farkas show right here on this Thursday, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. A lot of baseball conversation here today. And we go out to the phone line for it. Playoffs, Red Sox, and otherwise with Buster Olney, our ESPN MLB insider. Buster, how are you? I'm doing great. Getting fired up. We got this big game, Braves and uh, Braves and Phillies tonight. It should be a lot of fun. Should be a lot of fun. You've been doing baseball tonight this week. Can I make a request? Okay. Can we get it? Can we get back the cartoonish hitter with the giant bat who hits the baseball and the baseball makes the face where he's screaming whenever we talk about a home run? <laughs> you know, I'll ask. I'll ask. I don't know if the people who are working tonight have that power, but maybe we'll put the wheels in motion. I, I stayed up. Seriously, I was up until midnight every night as a kid watching baseball tonight. There was no better baseball show when I was growing up than baseball tonight every night. And that was before MLB TV and MLB Network and things like that. And you had to, you know, you had to watch all the highlights only on baseball tonight. And it was great. Yeah. And uh, of course, part of that show was my old friend, Peter Gammon. Yeah. Uh, you know, talk to all the time and, and uh, he, you know, such a unique presence and so much insight and talking with players. And you're right. It was kind of a one-stop shop. But as we are with the broadcast of all 30 teams now, uh, we, we get a lot more access to you too. True story. I met Carl Ravitch when I was like eight years old at the Jim Valvano uh, Celebrity Golf Tournament in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. Very nice. <laughs> yeah, he was on my podcast uh, today and and, uh, yeah, Carl, someone who I met back in 1995 wow. when he was just starting at ESPN, and I was a beat writer at the Baltimore Sun. Wow. Well, I love uh, I love that you're on baseball tonight this week. I've enjoyed watching and enjoy uh, everybody talking about the playoffs. Uh, let me let me ask you a couple of Red Sox questions first here. Actually, let me ask you one generic question. It's interesting here. We've talked a lot this week about Bill Belichick, right, and what's happened to the Patriots, and is he behind the times, and how how do you deserve to go out and things like that. I bet in baseball this happens more with players coming kind of to the end of their career. Do you ever remember a baseball manager kind of in this same situation that Belichick is in? Oh, totally. Tony La Russa. Yes. In recent years with the White Sox. Like he was brought back by Jerry Reinsdorf uh, because Jerry always had regretted letting him go back in the 80s. Uh, and La Russa went on to have tremendous success and, and, uh, and La Russa struggled. Uh, in the two years, they made the playoffs one year, but then the players, you heard complaining. And I say this, and I obviously, you know, being a New Englander, I'm paying attention to Belichick and what's going on there. And I'll tell you flat out, like, I have not talked to any sources in the NFL. I don't have inside knowledge. But as I've watched it play out, my question is, how much would Belichick, the coach, uh, have? how much patience would that person have for Belichick, in the person who's performing yeah. and before he were to cut bait and, and how much would Belichick, the coach have patience for a player who was hanging around to hit a milestone. Like the perception is that Bel- Belichick mm. is sticking around because he wants to set this record for wins by a coach. And you know, and I know the answer to it. He wouldn't put up with a player who wasn't performing. He would be very unemotional, unsentimental, and he'd move on. Mm. And he certainly wouldn't put up with the idea of keeping a player around just to hit a milestone, a personal milestone. With Belichick, part of his greatness as a coach is he's always focused on team results. Uh, that's allowed him to be very flexible in his handling of the roster. And, and so I'm, I'm wondering at some point, will the owner of the, of the Patriots, Robert Kraft, apply the same standard that Belichick has applied for his team all these years? See what happens. It certainly is a uh, 
a very tenuous situation for sure. And the Pats are one and four going into week six. We're talking about Buster Olney, our ESPN MLB insider here. Let's get into baseball. Let me ask you a Red Sox question here. Red Sox fired their infield coach, Carlos Fables, this week. They fired their pitching coach, Dave Bush. Buster, I, I don't pretend to know if those are great moves or poor moves, especially, though, with Bush. I look at it. Chris Martin had a great year in the bullpen. Kenley Jansen had a great year in the bullpen. And a lot of the young guys got better. So are we scapegoating Dave Bush and making a move just for the sake of making a move? Because I, I feel like a lot of it was front office problems in terms of the players they brought in and relied on. Uh, a lot of it depends. And I don't know the answer to this. Yeah. You know, was this a, qu- a question where – you know, there was a disagreement over which analytics to use uh, about using advanced information. You know, is it the case where he was more of a, you know, a, a therapist than he was a coach in terms of applying the information? I don't know. Um, you know, I haven't dug, I, I just haven't dug into that question. But, you know, when you come down, you know, toward the end of the year, it's also, I think that uh, like a lot of marriages, I think they're probably that time comes when it's either going to work, you're going to either, uh, you know, evolve or it's not going to work uh, in the relationship between the, the team and the, and the coach. And I think that may have been the case with both Dave Bush and, and Carlos Feblis. You know, they've been around for a while. They've been valued by Alex Tor, their manager. And then at some point, you know, the, what, the, what each side wanted didn't necessarily match. Buster, just kind of a logistics question here, and it's it's a serious topic that, that none of us know any of the answers to, but yesterday it was reported that the Red Sox prospect, his name is Brianer Bonacci. He's the 11th-ranked prospect for the team. He was sent home from the Arizona Fall League and placed on the restricted list for that joint domestic violence, sexual assault, and child abuse policy. We don't have any information. I'm just kind of curious, when someone gets put on that list, kind of what what happens? What are the logistics on things once someone's been put on the restricted list? Well, it basically means that they're being put on hold uh, while information is being gathered. You know, the team's gathering information. And a lot of times, and I don't know specifics about this case, but I will tell you, for example, Julio Arias of the Dodgers when it was in a similar situation. Um, and, and what it needs to happen is, is that, you know, there, there needs to be an investigation from Major League Baseball uh, investigators who they want to talk to the player. But when there's a situation where there's also a, a police investigation going on at the same time, almost every in almost every circumstance, the player's not going to talk to Major League Baseball until they deal with the police, mm. until the criminal case is resolved, which basically means that the player is stuck in purgatory. Uh, the, the case with Major League Baseball can't advance uh, until uh, the, the criminal case is resolved unless the player is willing to speak to with Major League Baseball. And, and let's face it, no lawyer is ever going to advise a client to do that because all of those statements in Major League Baseball could be used in the criminal case. So that's, uh, it, it, and that's why a lot of these cases and investigations on. Buster, kind of on that note, uh, it was last week he put out a video, um, Trevor Bauer. He obviously was on this list um, a couple of years ago, pitched this past year in Japan. He made, you know, he stated the facts according to him um, the other, or last week in that social media post. Does he appear any less radioactive now for teams heading into this offseason, or do teams still want to stay away from him, you think? I would be surprised if he pitches in Major League Baseball again. Okay. 
So we will see what happens there, but uh, that is a name to watch in this offseason, but we will see what happens with Bauer, the former Cy Young winner. Buster, on the playoffs here, I got to tell you, as a Mariners fan, what an unlikable ALCS for me. My two worst nightmares here. Rangers, Astros, really? <laughs> yeah, and it's driving me crazy. Yes. American League West, two teams in Texas. You get, uh, I love the Dusty Baker's wry smile after the Astros beat the Twins yesterday where he was like, yeah, I get to go up against Bruce Bochy. Yep. You know, going up 74-year-old Dusty Baker against 60-year-old manager uh, Bruce Bochy. The Rangers with that great offense. The Astros, and you and I talked about how it felt like that the Astros were bored with the regular season. Well, now they're <laughs> fully activated now that we're into the postseason. This should be a, a great series between these two teams especially with all the experience and all the playoffs uh you know history that these guys have i know you don't want to hear about it as a mariners fan though that guy Evaldi, who pitched for the rangers in game three looks pretty good i kind of like if the red sox could have had a guy like that buster man uh and that when you look back at that decision with uh 2020 hindsight because of all you know nate's got a lot of injury history but when you look at that decision with 2020 hindsight, what a mistake for the Red Sox to let him go. You know, he just, he came off the injured list on September 5th, and with each passing start, he seems to be getting better and better and better. He seems poised for a big month, uh, you know, big playoff series coming up against the Astros. They're going to need it, given the depth of the Astros lineup. You know, Buster, the Dodgers are... A little older, right? Muncy Freeman in their mid-30s. Mookie now over 30. Uh, Kershaw mid-30s, late-30s now pushing it. Um, do you think they're at an organizational crossroads? And is Dave Roberts going to survive this? Yeah, I Dave Roberts is. I mean, look, we all talked about going into the postseason. The question was about the Dodgers. Do they have enough starting pitching to survive through round, multiple rounds in October? Because they lost Tony Gonsolin and Dustin May. And Arias was taken off the field with a domestic violence incident. Um, you know, Walker Bueller never responded. And in the three games they played in the postseason, their starting pitchers numbers, four and a third innings, 13 runs allowed. Okay? I know that Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts didn't hit, but it's really hard to overcome that when your starting pitchers are getting hit around that much. Um, so Dave Roberts, I, I mean, that would just be ridiculous if he were <laughs> be blamed for this. Think about this. Over the last three years, the Dodgers have averaged 106 wins per season in the regular season, and the record in the postseason is 7-12. and 12. Wow. Uh, I, I do think it probably gives them carte blanche to start to, you know, turn over the roster a little bit. And the first, you know, the big question hovering over the team as the season ends for them, will Clayton Kershaw be back? You know, at age 35, uh, he's had elbow issues in the past. He's had back issues. He's had hip issues. And this year, it's the shoulder. And you saw him in that start against the Diamondbacks. He didn't have much. Uh, you know, the future Hall of Famer, uh, you know, people wonder, and I've asked this question of friends, a lot of people think that that may have been the end of his career, that really mm. ugly one-third of an inning, six, run, uh, six runs allowed outing against the Diamondbacks, which should be a shame. But, you know, maybe that makes the Diamondbacks go all in more on Shohei Otani. Mm. Buster, I will get you out of here on this. I asked you this question last week. I will ask you it again now based on what we've seen over the last seven days. More feared playoff hitter, Jordan Alvarez, Bryce Harper. Uh, boy, <laughs> I think the best hitter, that is a great question. The best hitter in baseball right now is Jordan Alvarez. Yep. He 
has incredible power. He has plate discipline. He can hit the ball to all fields, and he has a really simple swing. Bryce Harper doesn't have a simple swing. He's got a violent swing. We've seen times in his career when he goes into these funks, when he sort of opens up a little bit too quickly in his mechanics. Right now, in this moment, I think he's more fierce because the violent swing for him is working. He's mm-hmm. being totally focused. And tonight, when Spencer Strider's on the mound, uh, that has to be the guy that the Braves focus on. Because uh, Tarper right now, just it, it seems like he's in an absolute zone with the way he's swinging the bat. Buster, are you going to be anywhere on site for the LCS or going to be studio bound or what? Uh, next week I'll be in Texas. I'm looking forward okay. to it. Well, travel safe. We'll catch up with you in seven days, and we look forward to doing so. Enjoy uh, you know, the, the, the part of the uh, LCS that has happened until we talk uh, next Thursday. All right. That sounds great, Brady. Thank you.